Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Papa Ron Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth. The legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Happy New Year! (laughs) The first podcast of 2023. That's right. It's going to be a good year. I'm feeling it. Of course, you know, this whole podcast was inspired because of something that happened to me just about a year ago today. In fact, I'm actually leaving for the trade show next... Is that right? Next week. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm leaving for the trade show next week where I had the panic attack on the airplane coming back from... Where then I went to the doctor, mm-hmm. and then I was told that, hey, you got this condition called depression and anxiety, and you probably ought to be medicated, mm. and then f- start opening up, and I start talking about it. Right. And then a friend hits me over the head with a with a folding chair, like it's a WWE <laughs> match, and says, I've been me. <laughs> telling you that you need to do a podcast, and yeah. here we are, episode 27. Welcome back. How about it? Royals broadcaster, Ryan Lefevre. Am I a regular you are. now? You should now be. You, are, you should yeah. be. Hey, by the way, the... Uh, Ario Speedwagon that yeah. kind of uh, dates all of us, right? I mean, I'm thinking, is that is that the audience that we're going for right now? They'll think, well, if the guy plays Ario Speedwagon, he must be okay. So, a couple things there is that I found out in the process of doing this that that is licensed music and is doing me no good by airing that on YouTube because there's no way now that I can be monetized. So, I'm going to have to change the imaging of that here real soon if I want this thing to go anywhere. Two, I'm a huge Ario Speedwagon fan, and three. If it does get the older crowd, great, because the older crowd, I think, is the ones that kind of grew up in a generation where you don't talk, especially men, don't talk about your emotions, don't, you know, uh, open up uh, all of the stuff that you internalize all that, right? Mm-hmm. And then three, I love the, the you roll with the changes, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm in, in my darkest moment when I was yep. down on the ground and I was trying to figure out where I was going to go next and... It was the friends that were lifting me up and say, hey, man, let's just get back in the game. Let's roll with the changes. And so mm-hmm. there you go. That's why it's the theme song for now. But that is changing. <laughs> Not for long. That's changing relatively soon. I got to include Jillian. And now that you're a regular host, I'm probably going to have to include your name in the imaging of this thing. Gosh. So anyway, part two with Ryan Lefevre. This is the first time we've ever done a part two. This is yep. the first time we've ever had someone back. And so we, we wanted to have Ryan back because we didn't have as much time with him as we wanted to talk about all of the things. Um, And I was trying to think and pray about how to start this thing off because obviously the reason I wanted you here was to talk about your testimony and your story with with your battle with depression and your journey with getting reacquainted uh, with Christ. Um, And then I got distracted with wanting to talk about baseball (laughs) and that took up a majority of the episode. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about that first. 
Okay. Okay. We're going to talk about that, but we are going <laughs> to talk about the Royals because there's a lot of things that happen with the Royals over the off season. There's a huge conversation amongst fans in the Metro about the new ballpark. Right. And I think there's a lot of misconception. And I think that maybe you might be able to offer some, offer some clarity with the direction the Royals want to go with this new ballpark. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk all about that at some point, but hopefully we'll get to that at the end. Let's start with, um, let's start with your journey though. But before we do that, how was your Christmas? Did you have a good uh, celebration of Christ with the entire family? It was great. Uh, we have four kids, 12, 11, nine, and seven. And uh, boy, 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 girl. So Christmas is a lot of fun. We mm -hmm. still have two Santa believers. Yeah. But in just the last really? three years, I've gone from four to two. Yeah, that's quick. But the older ones enjoy being Get to part, be part of, of the scheme now. You How know? did you? So all of my kids are still believers. Yep. Okay. We've never had this conversation, but I probably ask you the same. How did you break it to them? And when you told them, did it crush them? We were prepared for that because uh, my wife grew up without Santa Claus. Oh, Her parents too. did not, really? do, yeah. did not mm -hmm. do Santa. And so when we got married and first Christmas came along and we discussed it and then second Christmas comes and goes and then third Christmas, now we have a child. Now he's a baby, so he doesn't understand what, mm -hmm. what's going on. Mm -hmm. But I did do Santa and I loved Santa and I don't feel like it got in the way of my faith and, and there's feelings out there that if we lie lie I say yep. in quotations yep. about Santa to our kids will they and the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy are they going to feel like we're lying to them about God so mm -hmm. it's a it's a good conversation but I don't know we probably read something online or there's a picture that we have in our house and it's it's Santa with his hat off and he's on a knee mm -hmm. and he's kneeling before baby Jesus yes. in the manger before yes. he goes out to work to just kind of a reminder is this is what I'm mm -hmm. going to do and then I I don't remember the specifics of it, but what we arrived on is that if our kids got to a point where they, okay, they've figured this out, um, is there a Santa? And the question, the answer is there is a Santa. Um, it's, it's mom and me. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there that give gifts and they don't want you to know where the gift comes from. Mm -hmm. Now you get a chance to be a Santa. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we the, did the, same thing. the story of St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's where Santa Claus comes from. I mean, yeah. that's where it all began. So um, that's, that's, basically how we uh, soften the blow for them was to be honest with them, but at the same time and say, so if our kids say, is there a such thing as Santa Claus? Well, absolutely. There is somebody who comes in while you're sleeping and puts presents <laughs> yeah. under the tree. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think what you said first about, well, if, if we're lying to them about it, are they going to think we're lying about God? But I think on the flip side of that, something that I've talked to my kids about throughout the years is, it also gives them a great picture of what it's like to believe in something you can't see. Mm. You only see the works of. So it's not trying to equate Santa Claus with God, but you believed all those years in something you never saw, mm. but you saw the work of. You saw the results of what he did or what he's doing. So I think that's a good picture too for kids. Yeah. But. So now there's Elf on a Shelf because we didn't have no, that. Not well, for me. No, not not, our you house. guys aren't doing. <laughs> Please talk to my wife. Yeah, it's, I've heard it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Yeah. I got yeah. out of it a lot this year, I, and so I got to thank my wife for for not putting that burden on me as much, and she took mm. on a lot of that responsibility. But it's her own dang fault because she's the one <laughs> to have Elf on a yeah. Shelf, right? And so yeah. here's another thing. And uh, my daughter is nine, and she's and I don't know. Is she your daughter's here? Does she? 
I, I got to be careful on loud I'm talking. She's in, no, no, no. But she's okay. in that weird spot where I think she knows. Starts doing the math. Has, <laughs> well, that's has, where I was going with this. Has done the math and, and, and already knows like Tooth Fairy Easter Bunny. So okay. it's like, this is going to be the third time's a charm. Mm. The tricky thing about her is I thought this was the year. I told my husband, I'm like, I think this is the year because like next year will be 10 and I don't want to get made fun of and all these things. But what we did with the other two was when it happened with them is, well, now you get to be, like you said, you get to help be Santa Mm -hmm. for, you know, for her. Well, now she doesn't have a younger sibling. So it's like, I didn't really think of that. I guess you gotta have another one. (laughs) Just keep them coming. Now we do it for another family who is in need or something like that. Well played, Ryan. Nice job. So, so the elf, yeah. Um, this conversation has gone on entirely too long, I but know. I just wanted <laughs> to add this, that my daughter, which is good or bad or indifferent, you know, that I don't want to allow too many people to pass judgment, but we allow her to have a, a shared social media account with my wife mm-hmm. so she can play on, and she's into dance, so she likes watching the dance uh, yeah. m- uh, videos on TikTok and stuff yeah. like that, but she'll occasionally, through the feed, come across something, and so she sees where somebody's talking about where. Yeah. Your parents yeah. are elf on a shelf. <laughs> and she's like, well, what's going on? Well, wait a minute. Let me start thinking about this. I actually did see uh-huh. the gift that I got in mom's closet uh-huh. the other day. Uh-huh. So maybe, dad, is is mom elf on a shelf? I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. Right, Ask right, her. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or the other day, as a matter of fact, it might still be there charging. My my yeah. daughter got a, uh, a, a um, Bluetooth shower speaker. Yes. It's so I brought it down here to, to charge. And it was having trouble charging with the actual charger. So I put it on my charger and, uh, and, and she's talking to my wife about it. And she was like, I don't know, you know, it, it's, it's only $5. It came from five below, but you mean Santa didn't give me that? Oops. Uh-huh. Well, he probably went to five below to get it. You right, know, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so we've had some of those little mishaps. Too we're real close to turning the corner for the truth to come out. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Um, <laughs> Back I, to I, Jesus, I would, right? I, right. Hey, yeah. I was just really <laughs> wanting to know how your Christmas was. Yeah. Really. Um, hey, thank you for being here the first time and telling your story. And I apologize that you had to kind of summarize and through all of it. And and I actually, before you came over today, I went back and I watched for the third time the video uh, on YouTube that you did with Journey Church, but by the way, <clears throat> whether you watched the first episode with Ryan or uh, this episode, I'm in the description of this podcast. I'm going to have the link to that YouTube video. You can yeah. go back and watch it and you should, good. because it is so, so good. So good. Um, I wanted to ask you after listening to that, did you, you talked about the relationship that you had with your mom and your dad and the 18 months that, you know, after 18 months of being alive that they separated and then you kind of being an only child and trying to find your identity. So is it fair to say, or maybe you can offer some clarity that you always battled with some sort of depression or anxiety or was it until, was it later after you started having all the success and all the material things that you started feeling the emptiness because you felt like that, all the material things and the success was ultimately was going to bring you the success. You know, I had never thought about it that way, but as you're talking, I'm, I'm processing it. And I, I think that's possible. We, we moved a lot. I think I, I mentioned in our first visit that when I was done with second grade, that was my sixth school. Mm. Right. And so we had moved in and around the Los Angeles area. It's not like we moved from Connecticut to Tennessee to Seattle, you know, to Oregon or what, I mean, whatever. I mean, it, it was, you know, I was still in the greater LA area, but I was changing schools and I was changing friends. And I think being young and, and not knowing that that was different, you know, I mean, we, we were 
Jillian was was talking about her daughter about when she was doing radio from home. I mean, our kids just take in what they see. I mean, mm-hmm. like They're my kids, my kids, exactly. My yeah. kids right now are starting to realize that everyone's dad is not on television. You know, they just, they just think, <laughs> right. you know, it's just a job to uh-huh. them. Yeah. So I think for me, I was just taking in, that's just what you do. But I, I, I do think that I was forced to be outgoing because I wanted to fit in everywhere we went. Um, but I don't think I'm that outgoing. So I think at a young age, I felt like I have to be this person to fit in. Luckily I had sports that mm-hmm. helped and I had a famous father and so I could lean on that, mm. and and I was kind of in many times with the athletic crowd because I was a, a good little athlete, and my dad was either playing for the Dodgers, coaching for the Dodgers, coaching for the Giants, mm-hmm. coaching for the A's, managing mm. the Mariners, something like that. Mm. I mean, that was kind of my in. But, yeah, I think that's accurate. I think at a young age, I just there was probably some anxiety there, and before there was alcohol, there was, there was just going to my identity. Hey, mm. you know, my dad does this or mm-hmm. whatever. But you don't have any, like, you don't have any memories of like laying in bed and crying and feeling like I'm so lost. Uh, well, I, I, I think the first thing that really um, opened my eyes to the brokenness mm. when I went through my depression in 2005 was that I had an emotional detachment from my mother. Mm. which was very confusing to me because I was mostly angry at my father Mm. because they split up. He went elsewhere. I would visit him in the summers. I'd see him during the holidays, but he wasn't there. Um, I looked up to him because it was pretty cool that he was a major leaguer. And as you know, I was like eight years old. I'm hanging out in major league ballparks and I'm a bat boy at Dodger stadium in front of 45,000 fans. And I'm eight or nine years old. I mean, so there, that was feeding one thing, but as I got older, I began to realize, you know, he hasn't really put a whole lot of time into being my father here. And my mom was who I was living with. And yet at a young age, I, I developed some sort of emotional detachment from her. So the lying in bed that I remember at a young age was if I ever got my heart broken by a girl, mm. and I'm talking about going back to elementary school, okay. I mean, how serious can a relationship be in <laughs> right. fourth or fifth grade? But if yeah. I felt rejected by a girl, yeah. it was devastating for me wow. all the way up until I got married. Mm. I mean, and I and so I didn't really understand it. I, I always sought the approval of girls, romantically or otherwise. And I think even to this day, I mean, I, I find myself um, not in a romantic way, but I still will catch myself, even at my kids' school, just wanting to get to know the moms and try not to be the creepy dad along the way. And mm. hopefully after a while, they realize that I'm harmless. I'm not sure. I'm not <laughs> just trying, trying to. And maybe it's because I know how hard it is to be a mom. And yeah. um, and the dads are kind of like, whatever. And I just, I understand. And of course, the guys probably, the dads want to gravitate to you that anyway be because of, of your profile. Yeah, that could be part of it. So so that was that was the early anxiety for me was, was navigating what that was all about, why I needed to be accepted by girls. So why was there, well, two questions. Why did you move around so much? Mm-hmm. And you said the first six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, why was there an emotional detachment? Well, we moved, uh, let's see, when my parents were divorced, my mom had to move just because, you know, they became 
she be, had to go back to work and support us. So we went somewhere where she could support just the two of us. Then she was remarried. And so we moved to another part of LA because of that. Okay. That relationship didn't work. So we oh, moved again. Mm-hmm. So with gotcha. the, there were, there was more than one school within each move. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so that, that was part of it. And I think the emotional detachment was my mom was, my mom was young when this happened. And I mean, she was in her, gosh, late 20s, early 30s. And this was a time long, long before there was public gossip about divorces and mm-hmm. things like that. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the way my mom's explained it to me, back in the mid-70s, when Jim Lefevre and Gene Lefevre split up, it was news in Los Angeles. And it was just that not at, this was way before entertainment tonight and TMZ and all that kind of stuff. But for some reason, that was news. And was my she mom, a high profile person? Um, not as much as my father, but I mean, this, we're talking about Los Angeles. I mean, this is Hollywood. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was the Dodgers, but it was bigger than the Dodgers because it was, it was Los Angeles. Okay. And so, um, and I, and if my mom was sitting here right now, she could tell you all the reporters and newscasters that talked about it way back in the seventies. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's still angry about that. So when my dad mm-hmm. left, I mean, she was, she was young, she was angry and that played out into her social life. And so, uh, there were things that I was exposed to at a very young age that, um, I wouldn't say would be something that the police would come and take me away, but because of the party she was having and and the company that she was keeping or whatever, at a very young age, I felt unsafe. Mm. And even though she was in the same house, I felt emotionally detached. Wow. Mm. Okay. And it wasn't until that I was an adult and really began to examine my manhood and, and that it wasn't all about, you know, my job and how much money I was making and all the things that I had that deep inside of every man is this desire to be connected to their mother. Sure. To be, to be held by their mother to be in their mother's arms yeah Um, i remember going to rome as i was this was a year after my depression and just like i gotta go see the world i mean i'm just and i I wanted to i wanted i was raised catholic and i wanted Mm -hmm. to go to rome i wanted to see the vatican and i remember going into the 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 sistine chapel and just taking in the artwork and and um going into the vatican and 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 the, the the theme that just kept coming up and especially um, inside of the, the cathedral was this Michelangelo, uh, uh, not statue, help me out here. Um, well, the, I don't know the, the ceiling or the, <laughs> no, the no, no, statue? no, I'm, I, I want to say a statue, okay. we'll just use statue, okay. but a, a statue of Mary holding Jesus after she took him off the cross. Mm. Oh yeah. Okay. And, um, it was, it was a Michelangelo creation. And, um, gotcha. Depiction? I remember. I, I, <laughs> oh, I'm still, I'm still yeah. trying to get the words. I know, I don't so know was why. it the Stations of the Cross or no, something? No, I, I don't know why I don't want to use the word statue. Like, what okay. would you describe David? The statu- well, the it's statue sta- of David. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay. So, so it was a statue. I guess I'm trying to think of a more, a more artsy way to say statue. Oh, okay. But basically, you know, it's, it's right when you walk in yeah. to the cathedral. And to the right, there's this huge statue of Mary holding Jesus' dead body after they took him off the cross. And I never forget the feeling that I had. This is a grown man dead, but being held by his mother. Yeah. And it was men who were standing there looking at it. Mm. And I was, I was connecting dots at that point with my own 
emotional detachment with my mother. She and I had had a long conversation. We processed through it. There was healing because Mm -hmm. of that. She understood Mm -hmm. it. I understood it. I understood a lot of bad decisions I made over the course of my life that was tied to that. But I remember looking at that and just having this emotional reaction to it and realizing that women weren't standing around looking at this. Mm. It was men. Mm. And um, that there was just this desire to be held. And at the very end, he was held in his mother's arms. And then watching the Passion of the Christ when that came out, you know, and and the 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 scene that grabbed me the most was when um, Mary's looking when Jesus is being flogged and and on his way to be crucified. She's having flashbacks of his life, and one of them is when he skins his knee and he's crying, and she drops everything and just comes running for him, you know. And it was just like I forget I was listening. I think I was listening to Christian radio and, and someone was giving an early review of that and saying that that was the scene that was most emotional for men. So there was just all hmm. this stuff going on inside of me that I, that I was processing and, and realized that I, I missed out on that emotional detachment. And when the alcohol was gone and the depression was gone and the dust had settled and I could realize that there was a need there to, I, I spent most of my life trying to impress my father, mm. but in my young formative years, I needed an emotional attachment with my mother. Mm. So how did you, how did you fix that? Or how did you get past it? Or did you, I mean, as you said, there was healing, but I mean, those spots couldn't really be filled by her. I would imagine at that point. Well, my mom, you know, like everyone in her generation was raised by parents who went through the depression in world war two. Mm-hmm. And there was a, you know, a very courageous part of that generation, but also a very hard, it was a very hard generation. There was a hardness of heart where um, people just didn't really talk about Mm -mm. what was going on. And there was so much going on in the world during that time. Uh, But you just kind of put your head down and you just kind of move forward. So my mom was raised in a generation where there just wasn't really a lot of discussion about that. So um, I think it meant something to her, but what I had to do, they were living in New Mexico at the time and she and I went for a hike and, and we sat down and, and I, I had to share. This, this is after her. you returned from Rome, from Rome. This was, uh, this was before I went to Rome Okay. and I sat there and I don't know how much it meant to her, but I needed to tell her what I had learned and that I, that I forgave her. Mm. And it was more emotional for me than it was for her. It meant something to her, but I also don't know if it, connected for her as much as it as it connected for me you know somebody told me something years ago which I use now so often when I think about my own pain and other people's pain and how they deal with pain someone said if you took two coke bottles that are the exact same size the exact same weight they came out of the same machine and you hold them the same distance from the ground and you drop them to the ground they're gonna break differently and that was a way to illustrate that we all break differently. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. we may look the same. We may have been raised by the same parents and Mm -hmm. have the same siblings and went to the same school in the same environment, whatever, but we all break differently. So Mm -hmm. um, had I said that to her five years prior to that, I may not have had the the healing that I needed because I would want her to break more and feel and understand it. But it it was a good time for me to share that with her because um, I just don't know exactly what it meant to her. But the forgiveness was complete for me that instead of just saying in prayer or whatever, well, I forgive her, I'll let her go. But to actually mm-hmm. look in her eyes and explain mm-hmm. to her my feelings, mm-hmm. um, some of it brought upon by myself, but look in her eyes and tell you, I forgive you. Did she understand it or do you think she was confused at first? 
Um, I think she understood some of it, but I think um, she was also, I don't know if she was confused. I don't, she didn't fully understand it. And I think even to this day, she would probably say that she doesn't fully understand it, but you know, but she's not responsible for that. No, I mean, that's my hurt, my deal. Going back to the Coke bottles again, I could have had a a twin brother who went through exactly what I went through and just Mm -hmm. was able to get through it. But you know, Mm -hmm. my heart was wired differently and it was injured differently. Um, but that was that was big for me because at, at that point, by forgiving her, now every dumb thing I did that had to do with the detach, emotional detachment from my mother was on me. Right. Mm-hmm. She's off the hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is confusing though for people, <clears throat> and even for people that have, if you've never forgiven someone without being asked for forgiveness first, I think that's really foreign to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think most people think, okay, the first step is, you know, if I've hurt if I've hurt you, I'm supposed to come to you first and mm-hmm. say, will you forgive me? And then you make the next step and you decide, yes, I'll forgive you. And we all hug and we're all happy. And, mm-hmm. but I think it's so foreign. I mean, it was foreign to me before I did it. And I, even the first time I did it verbally to someone it felt really weird to say, um, I just want you to know that I forgive you. <laughs> and they're like, that's a really, uh, I mean, it's kind of like this mm-hmm. weird, like, because sometimes you explain it and sometimes you don't, you know? And I mean, I'm sure they're left with questions if they don't ask and you don't tell mm-hmm. <laughs> what you're forgiving them for. It's just an odd, it's an odd thing. That's a good point. That might've been some of the awkwardness or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, that, you know, she strange. wasn't asking for my forgiveness and yet right. I'm grant, granting it to her anyway. And I, right. and I struggle with that too, Jillian. I mean, from what I read in the Bible, I mean, Jesus is usually referring to if your brother comes to you and asks you for forgiveness, mm-hmm. you know, then we get into the yeah. seven times 70 and how many times you've mm-hmm. forgiven all that, um, that it is, it is much easier when we forgive when somebody asks for our forgiveness. Right. Wow. You had talked about in that video with Journey Church, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. <clears throat> feel like I, I don't know if it's a sinuses or whatever, but I, feel, uh, I can't feel like I can. Well, I can't figure my out voice. what a statue is. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bailing we're me all, out there. We're all struggling today yeah. in our own ways. When I was watching the the <laughs> the uh, journey sermon, um, you had talked about this is going to sculpture. Sculpture. There you Thank go. You. Okay, that's the the scientific, okay. artistic term <laughs> that you, you were looking for. I feel better now. Okay, okay. All right. he's free. I have no idea what we've been talking about. Now that I know that I said sculpture, <laughs> okay, now we can get into this. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I want to just maybe one more time, you know, hit on the relationship with your mother, because I felt like that in that video, I had seen or heard you say that in the process of maybe going through therapy or having a life coach that you included your mother in that journey. Is that, did I hear that correctly? Well, she, at this point, even though I hadn't fully arrived at the issues that I had with her, we had, we had become close as I gotten, had, as I had gotten older, which made the whole thing even more confusing because wait a minute, my problems have to do with this emotional attachment with my mother. And yet she raised me. My father was mostly absent. And yet now we're friends as adults and I call her and I see her and I love her. Um, so wait a minute, I got this, this Mm -hmm. is, this is my, Mm -hmm. this is very confusing to Mm -hmm. me. Sure. Um, but she had been through clinical depression twice um, when I once when I was in high school and once when I was in college and I had no idea what she was going through because I thought our life was pretty good right and um, but then again I was out 
drinking. So if I ever felt depressed, you know, that was my medication and I can go out and do stupid things and just kind of suppress all those feelings. I didn't Mm -hmm. really understand. So when I went through what I went through, the first person I called was my mother. Mm -hmm. And my book begins with me talking about being in my closet of my house in Kansas City at 34 years old, having achieved everything basically that I wanted to before I turned 30. And then at age 34, I'm lying in my closet in a fetal position, calling out for the comfort of my mother. Here we go back to the emotional detachment Mm -hmm. with my mother. And um, so I call her the night after that breakdown and she mothered me, nursed me through it. I would call her two or three times a day. She came, she flew into Kansas City before they moved here. She flew into Kansas City. Oh, they live here now? They live here now. Oh, that's great. And so we would stay up all night and having been through what she's been through, she could relate. She knew the language. She knew how to say, how are you feeling right now? And get me to just um, express all these irrational feelings that I was having and help me kind of process Mm -hmm. through that because that's how she got through what she went through. So um, that she was a huge part of my recovery because as I'm sorting out this issue, underlying issue with my mother, my mother is being the mother that I always wanted her to be to mm. help me get through what I was mm. going through. Wow. You got anything? <laughs> no, that, yeah, I remember this too. Big. I remember that's when big. I, I remember when, when I remembered that I needed to go and I say, go home. I grew up in Los Angeles and they were living in New Mexico. Um, but when I, when I came to the conclusion that I'm trying to fill this hole with girlfriends and hopefully a wife that I just need to go and be with my mom um, and express this to her. Um, I remember I was at an event here in Kansas City and and my date, who was supposed to be my date, uh, backed out of it and 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 we were dating at the time and it was time for this relationship to be over. Just I was just so needy and <laughs> and I think she just wanted to date me because. She was needy too. And one of us needed to end the relationship. And I remember driving home and just saying, I need to go see my mom. And I called her and I said, can I come to your house tomorrow? And I got on a flight from Kansas city to New Mexico. And I just thought about her the whole way. And I remember landing in Albuquerque, getting off the plane. And my mom had been going through this with me. And I told her I just needed to come and spend time with her uh, living with my stepfather and my, and my brother in New Mexico. And I got off the plane and I could see her down the halls, I was getting off the plane. I was walking toward her. And she, I remember, I'll never forget, I wrote about this in my book. She, she just looked at me and she kind of tilted her head, like, you know, and mm. kind of put her arm, her hands at her sides. And I literally, like my last four or five steps, like I just kind of like, I'm 34 years old. Like Start I crying. ran to her yeah. and just hugged her and just cried on her shoulder for like two minutes straight in the wow. middle of the airport. Mm. And then for the next three, four days, I just followed her around wherever she went. I mean, I was like five or six years old again. If she, she was in real estate at the time, if she had to go do a showing, I just went with her. If she had to go to the store, I just went with her. Like I was just, I just, I, it was almost like an umbilical cord. You know, I just needed to be connected to her. Mm-hmm. And so during, and that's when we had the hike and I had the conversation. Okay. Forgiving. Um, but it was so just. That was a real pivotal, pivotal. Huge. Trip. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And to just, and just, <clears throat> and I think it was for her too, that she, you know, I'm sure if there was part of her, she would admit that there, that we missed out on in those turbulent early years when she was trying to figure out what she was going to do as a single mother now and everyone knowing that she's divorced from her famous husband and, mm-hmm. and whatever. And so mm. that was yeah, big moment. What kind of conversations did you have with your dad? I mean, when your dad is a professional athlete mm-hmm. and a professional manager 
and an icon, mm-hmm. fair to say? At that time. Well, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> well-known, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, you know, he's kind of, he's he's the guy with the armor shield, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, you said you had more yeah. of an uncle-like relationship with yeah. him than your dad. When you got to a vulnerable state to where, how how did that conversation look? Well, he read the book. Um, so he read the book before he knew anything about it. I this? think I sent both my parents a copy of it before it was published. I mean, I didn't want to be, you know, like but Prince Harry, know? you know, and, and just like you know, <laughs> empty my dirty laundry right. on my family without oh, letting them know. So I let them both read the manuscript, you know, before it went to print. And I just said, look, I, I'm writing this. And I make it clear in the book, look, I'm not here to tell you that my parents are bad people. They right. were doing the best they could. Sure. Um, but this is what happened to me and I needed to go fix this. This is, this isn't on them, but at the same time, if I'm going to tell my story, I can't tell my story and say that I had a strained relationship with my mother and my father. That doesn't, that doesn't help anybody connect to the Mm -hmm. story. I needed Mm -hmm. to be more specific so that they could go, Oh yeah, I had the same thing or I had almost the exact same thing happened to me. I mean, that's, that's really by being vulnerable in that way, I mean, that's how we connect. And, yeah. and and then someone can look at me just like I can look at someone else and say, well, he got through that. He's okay now. Someone can maybe look at me and say, well, he got past that. But this is what he had to deal with. Um, I got more resistance from my mom, to be honest, than my dad. And I was, I was very honest about my dad. My dad and I have never had the conversation like my mom and I have. But he, he knows. He's aware. And he didn't have any objection with what the manuscript said. And if anything, I recall him saying, you know, I learned a lot about our relationship by, by reading this. Your dad's still alive, yeah, right? Yeah, right. he just turned 81. Okay. You, <clears throat> you haven't had any in-depth conversation about that whole journey? Not really. You don't no. have any desire? I mean, you, you were, and granted, you, you kind of clarified mm-hmm. about the confusion of having the issue with your mother when she was the one who was actually kind of the care, you know, the one that was there for you and nurtured mm-hmm. you. Um, but being that he was the person that he was, the, the, the stature of the, of the man that he was, you've never had any desire to have like a come to Jesus with him. I don't think our relationship dictated that. Mm -hmm. I don't think he needed to know that, you know, because we weren't, we're not around each other every day. Um, Fortunately, God has put a lot of father figures into my life. So oh. when life happens, um, he's not at the top of the list that I go seek counsel from. I mean, it's just that's just the dynamic that myself and my half siblings just mm-hmm. were raised with. I mean, that's mm. just that's just the way that it is. And I didn't want I didn't want to, you know, if he didn't want to talk about it, I didn't want to bombard it with it. Now gotcha. it was different from my mom because she was walking through this whole thing with mm-hmm. me. Sure, and I felt like I, t- you know, to. to finish tying the bow on this thing, I need to say, Hey, there's something else that I need to tell you because mm-hmm. I was much closer with her mm-hmm. than I am with him. So I, I don't, I don't want to burden him. He does. He doesn't need to feel my pain. I need to deal with my pain. And, um, I don't know if I shared this or not the first time we were together. I just read this recently and it's just, it's just opened my eyes to so many different things. But Winston Churchill once said, if you find yourself going through hell, yes, keep going. Yeah, keep swinging. And I and I and it's, you know, it's a real manly thing to say, but it made me realize when I look back on what I went through, if I were to take any credit, I mean, I'm not going to boast. I boast only in the Lord, but mm-hmm. if I were to take credit for the action that I took, I kept going. I didn't want to keep going, but I kept going. Mm-hmm. And 
And so you, we have three choices when we're walking through hell. We get halfway there, and we can't take it anymore. And we turn around and we go back, mm-hmm. right? And we say, I'm never going through that again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I mean, I, for many people, the, mm-hmm. the cure is more painful than the disease. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going there. I've gotten a glimpse of it, and I'm not going there again. Some people will choose to make hell their comfort zone, their mm-hmm. familiar zone. And they will sit there and whoever is willing to listen to what's going on in their lives, they're going to tell you about it over and over again. And it's never getting any better. (laughs) Um, And so I didn't want to be that guy that I just sat there and my dad needs to understand what I went through. He needs to understand. And then choice three is that you just keep going. Mm -hmm. And so when I got to the other side, it was like, okay, in the big picture, this is between Jesus and me. And if my dad wants to ask me specifics about it, I'll, I'll share it with him and hopefully not shame him by, mm-hmm. you know, what I missed out on. And who's to say that I'm going to be a way better father than he was. I mean, now, now it's, now it's on me. I have to raise my boys, um, with the information that I have better than I was raised. And hopefully my boys raise their boys better than I raised them. I mean, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. So, um, so now, um, you know, my wife, my closest friends, our counselor, and Jesus, I mean, those are the people that I go to if I have issues, unless somebody comes to me with what they're going through. Now I have a, sh- a story to share sure. with them. Sure, yeah. So I'm curious if, you said you were raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. So was that your mom or your dad or both? Uh, that was my 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 dad's mom. I won't say my okay. dad, my dad's side of the family, yeah. Okay, so is your mom... She was raised Lutheran, okay. so I mean, that's they're pretty close. They're pretty I close. I mean, they're yeah. on... They're, they're on <laughs> each side of the reformation yeah. but they're yeah. they're cousins <laughs> yes, exactly. yeah, yeah. well and then there are people who will who will still argue that that martin luther died a catholic priest so <laughs> right. all he did for <laughs> christianity doesn't count because whatever anyway yeah. um i'm just curious if your testimony your story mm-hmm. has affected either of their faith like if you can see anything that has opened their eyes to anything as far as their relationship with christ mm-hmm. or I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, I think my, I know my dad has had, uh, periods of time in his life in his seventies and eighties where he'll tell me that he's, he's been going to church and, uh, for a while he lived in San Diego and, uh, Mike Sweeney lives in San Diego and Mike Sweeney was a huge influence on me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and Mike would take him to mass and, and so I, and I would hear about that and what that meant to him. Um, my mom, found a Lutheran church in Lee summit that she goes to my mm-hmm. stepfather reconnected with his Catholic background. And, and, um, so, and I think there's also a part of them that because they were raised differently in more of a routine yes. generation mm-hmm. of you, you go to church mm-hmm. and you do this on this date and you do that, that there wasn't really the personal relationship right. reading the Bible, right. what Jesus actually said, mm-hmm. not what the priest says that Jesus said, or the yeah. pastor says that Jesus said, yeah. but really getting in into the Bible and trying to live the gospel entirely mm-hmm. and not just the easy parts, yeah. um, but to just, and, and to be constantly searching for what's the hole in my life now? What's what am I holding on to that I'm not willing to give over to Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think that's still foreign to them. Mm. You know, I mean, I think, and I and I learned this in my own walk that uh, I was treating 
I was treating God as my accountant in that in the end, if I had more, if I'm saving more than I'm giving and I yeah. still have a, a balance at the end of the day, that that's good enough, right? And I, and I had to realize that, no, no, that's not good enough. If I'm not constantly trying to grow in him and find my blind spots and allow him to expose my blind spots, that this, this, this journey doesn't come to an end until... I stand before him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's, a, it's a generational thing. Yeah, you know? I think so, so too. And I think a lot of people, and I, and I will put myself in this place that sometimes that <clears throat> God's more of a fall back on mm-hmm. than a lean on. So mm-hmm. it's a fall back when, mm-hmm. when I hit a rough spot and that's when I'm going to talk to God and that's when I'm going to pray. I'm going to fall back and go, Oh, there's my, you know how some people will say, well, all we can do now is pray. Well, that should be the first, right? right? That, I mean, if, yeah. if you're, if you're facing something, not mm-hmm. like, well, you know, if it's a health thing and oh, all the doctors, and we've done all the tests. And so I guess all we can do now is pray. Right. Well, <laughs> right. I, that is true, but hopefully we're doing that all along. Yeah. So to lean into him in the moving forward, in the good times and the bad times, instead of just uh, well, when something's bad, I'm going to uh, fall into his arms right. and right. <laughs> beg for, whatever you and need. And that was me for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, me too. yeah for sure. <clears throat> I think it is a lot of people. In fact, I've, I've tried to, to do better, even starting as of recently, you, we probably know the, uh, the you version, uh, Bible app. app. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Bible app. And so you can go on there and you can uh, let that thing as you're driving down the road, read the Bible to you. <laughs> yes. And yeah. so yeah. Um, I've uh, started with a new year, try to start to be a new me. <laughs> and instead of only praying when I'm in trouble or feeling bad, yeah. like, Hey, I'm going to like try to like educate myself and do a better job. Like I'm so much better than I was a year ago, but yeah. um, I still have a long road ahead of me. And I think that that is one step in the direction to help uh, continue to grow. I'm going to ask a tough question and I'm really, if I'm just being honest, not comfortable asking this question, but there is a similarity between you and I outside of the depression because I also grew up Catholic Mm -hmm. and I no longer attend a Catholic church. And I don't want this to become a debate about one denomination being better than the other. Um, But I sometimes feel shamed maybe is a strong word for, um, either from, you know, someone who knew that I was Catholic and left the Catholic church mm-hmm. or from somebody who knows me in my new church knows I was Catholic and I still have a very strong soft place in my heart for Catholicism. Sure. Yeah. You said in your video in that journey video that sometimes when you talk to Catholics, that the story is I was raised Catholic. I went to a Catholic church, but yeah. All right. And you phrase it as I grew up in the Catholic church and mm. yeah. can you elaborate on where you're at with your belief or feeling of the Catholic faith or Catholicism because you're not attending a Catholic church now? Right. Well, the, the, the easy answer to that question is it's, it's not the church. Are people learning about Jesus and relating to Jesus. Is Jesus in the forefront of that church? Because we can get caught up in which denomination is better than the other, which one's more accurate. Um, there are Catholic church Catholic churches that inspire believers to have a relationship with Jesus. As the one that I raised in, I, I was around priests in high school. I really didn't have a, a, a solid uh, Catholic 
experience, if you will, until I went to high school. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school in Los Angeles, similar mm-hmm. to Rockhurst here in Kansas City. Okay. And I was surrounded by priests who really didn't give off this aura of that it was about the Catholic Church. Mm. It was about Jesus, and mm. this is how Catholics celebrate Jesus. Mm. So it wasn't until, to be honest, it wasn't until I came to the Midwest, and I got a little taste of it when I was in Minnesota, because it's a very Lutheran, strong part of the country. Uh, and then especially when I came to Kansas City, when I came to the Bible Belt, I mean, it, was, it wasn't until then that I thought, <laughs> that, you know, people don't even think that Catholics are Christians. And so I became this little Catholic apologist, if you will, because I would take <laughs> these, I would take these ac- accusations or um, these assumptions about the Catholic Church, and I would take it to a Catholic priest and say, "Well, what about this?" Yeah. And so, I mean, there are, there are certain things that are in the Catholic Church, you know, um, honoring the saints, you know, honoring. Mary, and I use the word honoring because some Catholics take it too far and they start worshiping the saints and they start worshiping Mary. But, um, you know, there's, there's certain beliefs in catechism that may not completely line up with the Bible, but they're not essentials. You know, Jesus came, he is the only son of God, and he came here to die for the redemption of our sins so that we may spend eternity with him. That's the essential. Now, how that plays itself out, you know, looks different and all... Even Protestant churches, mm-hmm. charismatic churches, evangelical churches, you're going to have pastors that are going to veer off the road and have their followers under the banner of charismatic evangelical church mm-hmm. that you know they're really not following the exact words of Jesus. I had a great experience in the Catholic Church. My introduction to Jesus and faith and prayer was in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I grew and experienced other churches, and then I married a non-Catholic, and I realized very quickly that you know Sarah's faith was much deeper than mine and, and much more ingrained in her over the course of her whole life than mine, that the comfort that I felt, and I say comfort because you know, if a non-Catholic goes to Catholic Mass, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, the, the routine and the rituals, there's really not a, an explanation as to why we're standing and why we're kneeling and all the Catholics have all these prayers memorized and it, and it's not mm-hmm. up on a screen that you mm-hmm. can read. It's a very uncomfortable experience for a non-Catholic. Yeah. And so I realized early on that, you know, we were not going to be a Catholic family and I was okay with that because at that point it was about my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. So, um, you know, just right here in Lee Summit, I mean, I was a member of Holy Spirit Catholic Church, mm-hmm. which is on the north side of 150 Highway in Lee Summit. Now I go to Journey Church International, <laughs> which is <laughs> right across the street from, from Holy Spirit. And for some people, unfortunately, they think that we're not across the street from each other. We're a million miles away from each right. other. And, and having experienced both and having experienced people in both, mm. I don't think you should feel guilty about that because your loyalty is not to a man in Rome. Your loyalty is not to a beautiful old building in Kansas City with stained glass windows. They might be formative parts of your faith. Mm-hmm. You are beholden to Jesus Christ, yeah. and Jesus Christ can be found in any church in the United States. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. And, well, and, and I was just going to say, I've I've kind of come to a re- realization over the last few years that any faith that believes in God and believes that Jesus is our Savior, pick any one of their churches any given Sunday or Saturday or whatever mm-hmm. t- there are going to be people in it that will be in heaven and people in it that won't because mm-hmm. it's really about their heart and their relationship. So mm-hmm. 
Enter just, through the narrow gate. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there'll be Catholics and there'll be Lutherans and there'll mm. be Methodists and there'll be Journey Churchers. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the denomination mm-hmm. is because, and I love that so many churches now don't necessarily plaster on the side of the building what the denomination is because I think that's so important that that's not what's important, right, right. you know? So that makes me feel like it's more about the church and the business of the church than it is about Jesus. Mm. Well, that, I was just curious. Help? Yeah, it does. No, it does. <laughs> I and mean, I, and I still have that. I still have that in me, Ronnie. I mean, if you were to ask me what would be my retreat right now, and I, I haven't, I haven't been a, a, a regular, regularly practicing Catholic in a long time on the road. I will go to daily mass because in a lot of places we really? stay downtown and there'll yeah. be a big, sure. you know, big cathedral or whatever downtown. And I'll go to, I'll go to daily mass. I mean, cause those, those are my roots. I'm not, Do you a, go I, to communion I, um, since you've kind of left. I mean, I, I, well, I mean, this is my personal belief. I will mm-hmm. go to communion because I want to receive the body and blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus wants me to receive him and use that as a symbol as to how I am supposed to behave for the rest of that day. Mm-hmm. That's my daily bread. How do mm-hmm. I get through today? I use that as, as inspiration. Um, my wife doesn't often come with me to mass, but if she does, I won't, if they won't allow her to take it, I won't take it. Okay. And my <laughs> wife has been a missionary all her life to, uh, the poor and third world countries all around the world. And if someone's going to tell her that she can't have the body and blood of Christ in their building, then I'm not going to take the body and blood of, of Christ in that okay. building. Um, so, uh, but if you were to ask me like, what's my retreat, I would go up to Conception Abbey in Northwest Missouri yeah. I mean, yeah. and spend time with the monks and hear them chant the Psalms in the Basilica. I mean, that's, that's still home for me. That's yeah. where I feel like that's still God's presence to me. I've, I've grown to love and listen all the time to contemporary Christian music, worship music, which, you know, drums and electric guitars. I mean, that not was, a thing in the Catholic was, church. That was a shock. Yeah. That was a shock to, uh, still is for the me. little old lady playing the organ. And, and yes. she also happens to be the only one that's really singing. Everyone else is just kind of humming along with her. Yeah. Now people have their hands in the air and they're yeah. singing and they're worshiping. Yeah. Um, that's, that's become normal to me. It was a shock at first, but in my, in my bones, I would be in the Basilica at Conception Abbey listening to the monks chant the Psalms. I, mean, I can that's relate. Just, that's to- just that's just <clears throat> my DNA. And you spent a, a, a long period of time there. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that part of your story? I think I that was from, I don't know if that was something I saw in that interview maybe. Yeah, or, yeah. Okay. yeah. so it talk was. about being, I actually have it down here on my notes, you, um, you spending some time up there at Conception Abbey with the monks at the monastery. So was that through the process of everything that you were going through? And you knowing that you needed to get back on track with Jesus and you just kind of had to put all of the distractions and noise aside and be in a place in order to like, like this to do that. Was that, did somebody give you some sort of advice or guidance through there? Or did you premeditate, did you think to yourself, that's where I want to go? Or did you research, where can I go? Where's a monastery I can go to? Well, my high school principal who eventually became a Catholic bishop. uh, Oh, wow. We have very close relationship. And in my recovery, uh, he was a bishop in Mandeville, Jamaica, which hmm. is up in the mountains of Jamaica. And he invited me uh, as I was coming through my depression in 05 to come visit with him. And it was it was very much like a uh, Tuesdays with Maury type experience where I went up there for about a week and we just sat and we talked. And he hmm. had to do all of his bishop duties during the day and I was just retreating in his home up there. And then at night he'd come back, we'd have dinner and we would just talk. And I wrote a lot about that in my book, the things that I learned from him. And he had known me since high school. I mean, we had this relationship. So he was like this, 
person that I would go to, and we still have a relationship. And then you remember uh, the the British comedian Tony Hendra? Does that name ring a bell? It does. Um, what was the the uh, British movie, the comedy about the the rock band seventies, um, eighties? Mm. Has nothing to do with a sculpture. Anyway, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, the rock band. Um, oh, like the old uh, with uh, Mark Wahlberg and Jennifer Aniston. Is no, that the movie? You're, no, oh, that's a different movie. Okay, boy, I'm, I'm I'm terrible with my details today. But anyway, Tony Hendra wrote this book called Father Joe, and he went to a Catholic school in Great Britain, and there was a there was a a monk priest that was there, and over the course of his life, he would go back, and he was kind of living as a wild celebrity and here, both in the United States and in Great Britain. But when he needed to get grounded and centered again, he would go back and talk to Father Joe, and he would talk about what the monastery was like and how Mm. they would take a walk together and all this. And it just fascinated me. And so uh, a priest friend of mine who actually married Sarah and me, uh, Father Paul Turner, who actually is the the pastor at uh, the cathedral downtown Kansas City, uh, Mm. when we became friends, uh, he graduated from Conception Seminary, and we were talking. He said, well, you should go up there with me sometime. So hmm. I went up there and got to know a bunch of the monks. And, and for years, I'd go up there during the All-Star break, and I would go up there for at for least— For years? For years. And then when the season was over, I would go up there for a week just before I would go into the off-season. And I would just—they hmm. they gather six times a day to pray, to sing, and then they go about their work, and they just— the bells ring. I mean, it's right out of a movie. The bells ring and all the yeah. monks, you know, they get in line, they come back in the basilica and they read their their psalms. They chant the psalms to each other and they go about their business for a couple of hours and the bells ring and they gather again. And and the rhythm of it is just such a good reminder that they don't ever want to get too far into their day before they stop everything mm. and gather and pray again and, you know, remember who they're working for. And so um, now being married with four kids, I mean, I haven't been up there for a few years, but I'm still friends with a lot of the monks. And um, so that's, that's my, that's my retreat. Interesting place. So when, when you started going up there, was this 2006 or shortly last? This is Spinal Tap. Tony Hendra was this in (laughs) Spinal Tap. I almost said Monty Python only because I was like, that's one thing I've never understood is Monty yeah. Python. This I has become like a Saturday Night Live. This show. is it really is. Like you're doing yeah. an interview, and then like ten minutes later, uh-huh. the guy answers a question uh-huh. from ten minutes. Ago. Well, the next time right. this happens, I'm going to say, "Oh, don't worry about it, Ryan. It'll come to you in just a little <laughs> exactly, bit." Exactly. <laughs> we can we can have a, a little game where we guess how long is it going to take for yes. Ryan to get <laughs> right. the answer, and, and, and will he just randomly blurt it out? Uh, in the new world of gambling, we can set the over and under. And, yeah, you know, yeah, for many sure. Minutes. So uh, the question is, um, <laughs> how shortly after you? in 2005 is when you came out with your depression, right? Mm-hmm. Or you were going through the, the meat of that depression. How soon after that did you go to the monastery? Um, and you said for years, mm-hmm. how many years would you say afterwards were you continuing to go up there? Well, I, uh, my depression, the, the meat of the depression, the book mostly talks about the summer of 2005. I was up there in the spring of 2006. Okay. Um, and then, um, up until I was married, I proposed to my wife up there. I had a, I had a, a moment when I realized that, uh, um, I had gone to mass up there and the priest was preparing for communion. And in the Catholic church, unlike the Protestant church, the Catholic church, when they give communion, that they don't just believe that this is symbolic of the body and blood of Christ, but there's yes. a ritual they go through where it becomes, becomes the, body, yes. the body and blood of yes. Christ. Yes. And, and whether you want to believe that or not, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's essential, but basically Jesus laid hands 
on the apostles. Peter's considered the first pope yes. in the Catholic Church. Um, popes lay their hands on bishops. Bishops lay their hands on priests. Priest. So, I mean, in the Catholic faith, there's you know that that the priest that gives you communion, there is a lineage of laying of hands that goes all the way back to Jesus, which mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah so, I think so too. So anyway, the the priest uh, Father Albert was talking about not just um, communion, but just the altar, because it's communion is blessed on an altar in the Catholic Church, and how in biblical times a gift would be presented to the altar. It would be blessed by the priest, received by God, returned to the people, sanctified, and then they would consume this mm. sanctified gift that they had presented to God. And so that's what communion is, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Father Albert said, So as you approach the table, as you approach the body and blood of Christ today, ask yourself, what are you willing to leave on the altar today Walk away from it and trust that God will receive it, bless it, and return it to you in a mm. way that maybe you've never imagined. Wow. And so I'm at the monastery with a girl that I was dating, mm. and um, I, I, it hit me, and I needed to go for a walk. So I went for a walk around the monastery. I was going around, um, it's called Placid Lake up there, not to be confused with Lake Placid, Placid from the 1980 Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> Walking around Placid Lake, and I realized... That God was saying, you know, you have trusted me with a lot of things in your life. You do have not trusted me with who your future wife is going to be. And I'm asking you, will you give that to me and allow me to bless it and give it back to you in a way that you may not even imagine? And I realized I needed to break up with this girl and I needed at least one year where I didn't date anybody. Because I was just trying so hard the next relationship. And she's a wonderful, wonderful lady. But it was just this next forced relationship because, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that was the next thing for me to be married. And I realized I need to end this relationship and I need to date God for a year. Mm-hmm. And not date anybody else for wow. one year. Wow. And here's how the enemy works. As soon as I realized that's what I needed to do, I had headphones on. I didn't realize that this girl had gone for a jog. And as soon as I was resolved to do this, she ran by me and kind of tapped me on the shoulder. And as she ran by, she looked over her shoulder, her shoulder and gave me this million dollar smile. And I was like, here's the enemy came right away. And yeah. was like, but how do you break up with her? Right. right. So we ended the relationship and um, I gave God a year and a half and I proposed to my wife on that same spot. Oh man. So. Wow. Yeah. Did you tell that girl why you were breaking up with her? Yeah. If everything was that, fine. Yeah, I, did, like, I did. You did. I did. I said, I'm not, I said, I said, this is, you know, mm. the whole, this is not you. It's me. But I said, I, 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 I <laughs> am not, not I am not in a place to be dating anybody. And by the way, you will not find out that I stayed, started dating someone else two months from now. Mm. It'll be at least a year. I got to clear my head and I got to figure, I got to get right with God. How long were you with this person? And a couple months. Take, oh, yeah. So it wasn't a long relationship. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So. So and that was the first time I kissed my wife too, by the way. Um, I realized, I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right this time. And so I kissed my wife. I did not kiss my wife until I proposed to her on that spot. Hmm. And really? Didn't, didn't kiss her again until I said, I do. What? Yeah. How long were you dating before you proposed? And then how long between proposal and wedding? <laughs> yeah. We were friends for four and a half years. Yeah. Um, really close friends for that year and a half. God brought her back into my life during mm-hmm. that year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and she knew what I was going through. Right. 
And we already established a friendship at that point. So there really wasn't a question with, with boundaries or anything like that. Um, but when I asked her, I did it the old fashioned way, the way our grandparents tell us and the way (laughs) I think scripture tell us, but I asked her permission to date her with the intent of marrying her. Wow. So that this isn't just like, Hey, let's date, let's be boyfriend, girlfriend. Like my intention is to marry you. And these are my strict physical boundaries. And she accepted it. And so we dated for two months. I mean, okay. we knew everything about can each you, other. Yeah, can you, you didn't need we a long courtship, right? We, yeah, yeah, we dated for two months mm-hmm. and I proposed. And then two months after that, we got married. So we went from friends to married in four months. Mm. Wow. That's a whole nother episode. But we got a movie. But uh, let's make a movie. Well, let's find your calendar and let's see what you got left. What's oh. that? Let's go ahead. Sorry. I have to go get kids. Oh, you're, you're on your way out the door? <laughs> you got to leave? Yeah. Oh, shoot. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, like right now? Yeah. You do need to leave right yeah. now. Okay. At the- Doggone it. I wasn't aware <laughs> that we were on a, on a time frame. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we're not going to talk about the Royals. Um, That's all right. Doggone That's it. Right. Well, maybe we can try to do this again some other time. I don't know. Well, thank you, man. I really do appreciate yeah, you taking you so the time much. to come in. Um, and, and I really appreciate you opening up about your story. And again, if anybody's listening to this and is struggling with um, any kind of mental illness, whether it be de- you know depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, know that you're not alone. And uh, the one of the things that I love that you said at the end of the episode that we did with you last time was, have you thanked? God for what you're going through. And I never really thought about it. Like whatever, that. whatever you ask for from God, whatever you ask, as the Bible says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it Yes, and it will be yours. Yes. And I think people, when they think of prayer, I'm praying to God. And then when he gives it to me, then I will be grateful. Yeah. And I've learned, and we can do a whole episode on answered prayer in my life to the mm-hmm. day. I mean, Five years to the day, 10 years to the day, 20 years to the day, um, prayers answered that God reminded me. I didn't forget about your prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, when I say that, and I don't know what people are going through when I say something like that, but if, if you believe in a sovereign God who made a personal decision to create you with a purpose yep. and that he doesn't waste our pain, that our pain has a purpose in his greater story, then... Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So if you can believe that you will receive it someday, then when trials come, can you begin by thanking God? I love it. Um, Hmm. Real quick, you did mention last time you were here that you will be uh, in a church speaking Hmm. in Blue Springs. What's the date? Share all of that information as we are doing this, recording this podcast on January 11th of 2023. Blue Springs Assembly on January 22nd. Okay. And it will be the same kind of uh, yeah, it's, story it's, that I'll talk, I'll talk about my story, but I'd really do focus in on how God has answered prayers in my life in some pretty mm. miraculous ways. Okay. Yeah. You do touch on, on some of that in the, in the visit that you did with journey church. Again, mm-hmm. that link is in the description of this podcast and it sounds like you're going to share a few more of those stories there. So once again, man, really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to come down the street because I know that you're, uh, Within walking distance, I think you said, not very far, (laughs) of RP Enterprises Global Headquarters. So thank you again. Um, I hope that we get to do this more often because I always feel like that there's so much to cover and so much to talk about. Uh, And I imagine we won't get the chance to do this before spring training. So uh, have a great season, man. We'll have a great season. I've had a 
great time visiting with you and Jillian. So thank you, Ronnie. Mm. I really appreciate it. We thank appreciate you. you having you here. That's episode 28 of the Papa Ron Podcast with Ryan LaFever. You've been listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. M-H-D. If you enjoyed this show, hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.